Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the final segment of our study on 1 Peter. As you know, um, I preach verse by verse. Um, I've been doing that since called to the pastorate. Uh, somebody asked me, why do you preach verse by verse? And the reason for that is uh, to ensure that the teaching of God's Word is as much a part of preaching God's Word and to increase the biblical knowledge and maturity of not only myself, but then to share that with you as a congregation, especially in the times in which we live, for we need to be dependent upon God's Word for direction in the world in which we live. So we're going to be looking at the final segments of 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to be reading verses 5 through 11. If you please stand for the reading of God's Word. And we got to get better at that. I, that's my fault for having you sit down after singing. I mean, we, we, we just got to get better at that, but uh, we'll get there. All right, I'm reading out of the ESV version. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To, to Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. May God add a blessing to His Word. You may be seated. A lot of richness within the Scriptures that we are now discussing in like I said, Peter is now closing his letter to the dispersed churches that are either facing suffering or will be facing suffering by way of persecution. And last week we examined the charge that Peter gave as it relates to the elders of the church, their responsibilities during this time of suffering and persecution because strong leadership in the church is essential during those times when the church is under persecution or the flock is coming against opposition. Now this week, we are now going to look at the charge that Peter gives to the laity, the church, those under the authority of the leaders of the church, and the responsibilities you all face in the course of suffering. So let us begin by examining right away verse 5, which has a lot of elements to it. Verse 5, again I say, or I read, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now Peter starts this off by saying, Likewise, as I spoke to the elders, I now speak to you. This is the second charge that he has. 
Now, I use the term laity to describe the church, but the word in context that Peter is using here for younger means those who are under the authority of those placed in authority in the church. Doesn't necessarily just mean to younger adolescents, but to those who fall underneath the church, under church leadership in its proper context. And he says that we are to subject ourselves to that leadership. Now, subject is a hard word. It's not hard to define. It's a hard word to do. Subject means subject oneself to obey, to submit to one's control, to yield to one's admonition or advice. Now, Peter could have said, follow, which is implied. He could have said, listen to them, which, again, it's implied. He also could have said or used the term align with them. Again, that's implied. Or we could use those new words that we hear today, partner or collaborate with the leadership. Again, implied. But that's not the word Peter uses Instead, he uses a very strong word. Why? Well, it goes back to chapter 2 when we discussed chapter 2 and that we're being to be submissive to the authority because all authority that we are placed under is put there by God. Because He's sovereign. He controls all things. In fact, Paul says that in Romans chapter 13, verse 1. All authority has been placed by God. Now, sometimes we elevate that to like, oh, religious leaders, kings of the land, things of this nature. It also means the boss that's over you in your work. If you truly believe that God is sovereign in all areas, it's in those areas too. And what are we to do? We are to be subject to them. You know, I... You might have remembered the story I told when we covered chapter 2 about a lady that was fired and or quit three jobs. And when I asked her, the last three jobs that you've had, you've either, you've been fired twice and you quit. Why is that? Well, I never agreed with management. I didn't like my supervisors, and I didn't agree with the way the company was being ran. Well, we got an old expression. You've heard this before from me. I'm a fisherman. One's an accident, two's a coincidence, three's a pattern. And I shared that with her. I said, do you see a pattern here? It may not have been them. It might have been you. If you have issues with leadership, at every job that you've been at, or if you had issues with leadership in the church, in every church that you've been at, might want to take a long look at yourself. You might be the common denominator. Subject oneself is an act of the will. Notice the definition, subject oneself. That's a, willi- that's a willful act that you do. It's what God calls you to do. It's not automatic. And sometimes it's hard. It's not easy. But that's what we're called to do. We may not like the way we are led or supervised. 
And we are always able, I would assume, if, they're, if your boss is worth or your pastor's worth any salt, they always have an open door where you can go and talk to them. But you're not to resist them. You're not to dismiss them. And you're not to rebel against them or work against them in what they're trying to achieve. Because when we do, if we believe in the sovereignty of God, who are we really working against? You see, we can compartmentalize it, right? Well, no, that's at my job. I really don't care for my supervisor. Therefore, I'm not going to fully engage in what he's leading me to do because I don't like his policies. I'm going to quietly resist. I'm going to quietly protest. What we don't realize is God has placed that authority over you. There is no compartmentalization. And if you're working against your leadership or your boss, or even your pastor, you're working against God. That doesn't mean your boss is always right. That doesn't mean that your pastor is always correct. It means that what you're doing in resisting, dismissing, and rebelling is not actually against your boss. It's an attitude. It's a spirit that is not supposed to be in a believer. So then what is the key in subjecting ourselves to authority? Humility. Humility. Now, humility is one of those words with a depth of meaning. It's like that iceberg, right, where the little tip is on the top of the ocean, but much more lies below the surface. It's the same with humility. In fact, humility means having a humble opinion of oneself, a deep sense of one's moral littleness, meaning there's no righteousness in you. It's modesty, humility, lowliness of mind. In fact, within humility, it's applied three different ways. It's applied to yourself, having a right assessment of yourself. It's applied to others, how you present yourself to other people. And it also applies to how you present yourself to God, but more on that in a minute. I really like what C.S. Lewis says. In mere Christianity, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. One cannot, now listen to this, one cannot subject themselves under authority or one to another or under God without humility. You can't. Because humility is the opposite of pride, and pride elevates oneself above others. Pride equalizes oneself with God. And so it takes humility in order for us to truly subject ourselves. In fact, humility is to have that state of mind and understanding and consciousness that you are not above anyone in any way. And you can serve anyone, no matter who they are, in comparison to you. There was a story of a young pastor who just started ministering in a church, and he was welcoming people at the front door. And as he was looking out in the parking lot, watching people get out of their cars, he seen this older couple get out of their car, holding their Bibles, walking towards the door. And he immediately recognized him as the professor from the seminary, a man of 30 years, a distinguished theologian, a published theologian. 
And he walks up to the door and he is, he's anxious and he's nervous and he's like, I wonder if you remember me. And the pastor comes up and, or the, the professor comes up, shakes his hand and says, good morning. He goes, good morning. He says, uh, I, I was in your class at seminary. And the, and the old professor looks at him and says, you know, I do remember you. He goes, welcome, welcome to church. And throughout the, church, throughout the service, the young pastor was nervous because he was about ready to give a sermon to the very person who instructed him in the seminary and he wanted to do well. And after the service, he went back to the back at the end of the church like he normally does. And he was sitting there waiting, you know, shaking hands of people, waiting for this professor to come by so we can talk to him. And finally, the professor comes by and he shakes his hand. He goes, I'm so glad that you're here. He goes, what brings you to the church? And he says, well, I just retired and I moved to the new community. And I believe I'll be joining your church. And the young pastor was so excited. He's like, oh, there's so much I can learn from you. There's so much and I, I, I want to just touch into you and I want to be mentored by you. And the man stopped him mid-sentence and said, I'm here to be served by you, to be fed by you, to be led by you. That's humility. That's understanding humility. And how are we to be humble? We are to be clothed with it. Now, the phrase to be clothed means to gird oneself with an apron. It's the very picture of Jesus. If you remember that in John chapter 13? Two weeks ago, our brother Ron preached on the sermon of John chapter 13. And Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. If you haven't heard the message, go to our website and, and watch that. It is the picture of humility. And what struck me about Ron's sermon as I was listening to it, as we were not here, we were in, in Medora, but I listened to it online. And what struck me about his sermon is that the Lord served his betrayer. Lord served his denier. Lord served his doubter. He knew these corrupt elements existed in each of those three men when he called them. And yet he called them. Judas was the betrayer. Peter was the denier. Thomas was the doubter. And yet he served them by washing their feet. If Jesus can humble himself as God and serve those who will betray him, deny him, and doubt him, how much more are we to humble ourselves one to another? He's our example. It was the greatest demonstration of humility, separate of Jesus giving up his glory to become man. And it's the greatest example that we'll ever receive from the Lord. Additionally, humbling ourselves one to another is a commitment of the will, a submissive act. And it's a front against your human nature, by the way. Your human nature does not like humility, doesn't like to submit. It wants to be identified. But it's something you do willingly. You're the actionable part. But get this, when you do, you receive power from the Holy Spirit to do it. For you can do nothing apart from Him. And this morning we talked about it a little bit, and you could do all things through Him who strengthens you. And so it's not in your strength. It's in the strength of the Holy Spirit. But we must subject ourselves. We must commit. Again, It lies upon us to start. 
Now, the antithesis of humility is pride. Pride is the greatest of all sins of character that lies within us. In fact, C.S. Lewis said this, Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that, all that, all, and all of that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the evil became the devil. Pride leads us to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Pride is the only one that is only one of those sins that derives from within. Everything else is an allure from outside. Pride is the essence of self-righteousness. It is manifested in individualism and the elevation of oneself over others and God. Now, how does God feel about pride? He opposes it. That's what our scripture says this morning. He opposes it. In fact, the word used here by Peter is a very strong military term that means to range in battle against. That's a pretty strong term. So what Peter is saying is if we're prideful towards each other or we feel we're equal to God, God will battle against us in that. Think of that for a second. Yes, we are under grace. Yes, God loves us with an everlasting love. Yes, our sins are covered by the shed blood of Christ. But if we're prideful and we're acting on it, God will stand against it. And he does it by disciplining it. And here's the warning for all of us. Pride deceives. Pride blinds. It quenches our ability to discern the Word of God as it applies to our lives. And we can all find ourselves here. It's quite easy. Here's the test. When you were not selected for a promotion or something that you desired by those appointed over you, or if you're dismissed by your boss or leadership, or you're overlooked, not validated by those who are responsible for you, how'd you feel? Now, it's natural to feel disappointed. It's natural to feel rejected. I get that. But when we become envious of those that were selected, when we become jealous of those that were affirmed, or angry for not being selected because we were felt the best for the job, that's pride. Pride always comes, as C.S. Lewis would say, on a competitive line, comparing ourselves one to another. That's how easy it is. We've all felt it in our nature. And it's something that we need to bring under obedience to Christ. And the first is to understand how that happens and to understand what it really is. That's why I'm teaching this. Because at the end of the day, we labor for Christ. That's who we serve ultimately. And anything that we would receive on this earth is going to be dust. 
It's going to fade away. Nobody's going to remember your accomplishments or your successes. But everything you do for the Lord will be what we talked about last week, that crown of glory, the achievements you did for Christ, and you're going to lay that at the feet of Christ when he gives it to you. We serve Christ, and our reward is Christ. Our validation is in Christ. It is not from the world. These are new tracks that we need to lay in our mind because in the world, it's opposite. It's what you achieve. It's the highest rank you can obtain. He who dies with the most toys wins. But for those who are humble and walk in humility, God gives them something very precious. It's called grace. Grace here means unmerited favor. It means you didn't earn it. it. means He's willfully, lovingly giving it to you because He cares for you. No different than a father cares for a child. Yeah, they could be disruptive. They could be disobedient. They could be rebellious. But He loves them and He cares for them. Although the world rewards the proud by accomplishment, God rewards the humble with His eternal favor and eternal inheritance. Now, as we are to humble ourselves one to another and be humble within ourselves and our own selves, we also need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. When we are in the midst of suffering, we tend to resist those moments because suffering tends to narrow our focus, doesn't it? to that which we're suffering, versus keeping our eyes upon Jesus. I think we've all been there. Very difficult situation in your life, and you lose focus on who you really follow. We may have lost a job, and we're struggling with that. We may have, have an overbearing boss who zaps the very strength from us, and we don't even want to go to work on Monday morning because of it, because we're miserable. We may be dealing with persecution or alienation from others because of our faith in Christ, and it causes us to become afraid or lonely or frustrated. And in those times, it's hard to, to focus on the Lord and accept the fact that maybe what we're going through is orchestrated and permissible by God. That's not how we think. It's one thing to suffer, but to accept that it's allowed by God takes true maturity. That's why Peter is saying, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and don't fight His sovereignty in the situation. Because although we may suffer, He is working out His perfect will in your life. I had a friend who came to the Lord, and I was ministering to him, and as others were as well. And when he came to Christ, his things were not going well in his family or his career. But then they began to attend church, and his kids were in our youth group. And although his marriage was rocky at the beginning, it started to really improve. But after a while, things started to unravel. His marriage failed or was failing. 
His children fought against him. He had law enforcement called to his house as a result of it. He was having issues at work. And during that time, I remember him saying something to me. He says, I know you said God allows us to go through things to humble us, but I don't know how much more I can take. One of the major barriers that my friend had towards his suffering was his pride. And you could see it. He was a very prideful person who felt he could fix anything if he put his mind to it. But he couldn't fix his life or his family. And it was frustrating him. It was very hard for him to submit under the mighty hand of God and be allowed to be exalted by him. Because that's what he was truly fighting. And so what Peter is saying here is that in the moments of suffering, we need to humble ourselves before a sovereign God who controls all things to and include our suffering. I really like what Gill's exposition says about this when he says, Or be ye humble before God and in his sight, quietly submit to his will, patiently bear every affliction without murmuring, repining, or replying against him. Be still under the rod, and despise not the chastening of the Lord. Mourn over sin as the, cause, as the cause. Acknowledge your vileness and unworthiness, and stand in awe of his majesty, considering yourselves asunder the mighty hand of God. Now, I know that's written in some old language, but the reason why I like this is because at every element of this definition, that's not how we act, is it? We're rarely quiet in the midst of submitting to God's will. We are rarely patient in our afflictions. We tend to whine and murmur when things aren't going well. We don't really care for discipline or worse, recognize the situation as discipline from the Lord. We tend to be comfortable around sin not only in ourselves, but in others. We tend not to recognize our faults because of our pride has blinded us or deceived us. And we find ourselves at times not standing in awe before God and submitting ourselves in our situation under His mighty hand. And so we become angry at Him. We become frustrated at Him. And yet, we are to quietly submit ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Because He loves you. And He cares for you. And you are precious to Him. You may not feel it when you're going through it. But He does. Now, God's mighty hand shows God's ultimate power. And this power is not only demonstrated in deliverance from suffering, as we've seen with the Israelites as their plight from Egypt, but it also shows the power of delivering you, but also disciplining you through judgment. And so we are to humbly submit ourselves to God. 
Now, I know that sounds harsh to hear that God will discipline us and judge us through the behemoth of Christ, obviously. God uses suffering. Remember what I said a couple weeks ago. God uses suffering to bring out that which he put in you. It's a refining process to bring us to the image, to the maturity, and to the likeness of Christ. And he does it because I said he loves us and he cares for us. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Not your circumstances, not your boss, not your trial, not your scars, not your wounds, not your own self-inflicted damage. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Peter continues in that we are to be sober-minded and watchful which means not to be under the influences of the world and always be alert spiritually, for we do not fight against flesh and blood, but what? Principalities and powers. And the reason we are to be sober-minded and watchful is because the enemy is prowling around looking for those whom he can pick off. During times of suffering, we can be very weak, We can be very vulnerable. And if we're not focused on Jesus, we could be isolated. And Satan knows this. And if we do not humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and cast all of our anxieties upon Him, now that word cast, that doesn't mean, here you go, Lord. That means to throw. It's the word used to describe how they threw nets off the boat to catch fish. They released the entire net. That means when we cast off the burden, the the suffering, the cares, the anxieties that we have, we cast it off. That means we have no contact with it after we let it go. But that's not how we always are, is it? At least for me. And so when he says cast it off, throw it away. Give it to God. See, we're not always like that in the midst of suffering. Sometimes we return to what is familiar, don't we? What is comfortable. Remember the Israelites in the desert? Running out of food, running out of water. Why don't we just go back to Egypt where we had everything that we needed? Yeah, sure, we were enslaved. Yeah, sure, we were not free. But you know what? At least we had food, we had shelter, we had comfort. They would rather be enslaved and suffer than to be free in Christ. Brothers and sisters, in times of suffering, we are to draw closer to God, not away from Him. I had a friend one time that was going through a pretty tough time, and he says, you know, I just got to, you know what, man, I haven't seen the church. You know what, I just got to just get right. No, brother, you need to go to the altar. You need to run to God. Don't run away from Him. He's your only hope. You don't have to go fix yourself and then come back. You need to run to the Lord. You need to run right through Satan and go to that altar. 
You need to go to Jesus. And how are we to deal with this enemy that prowls around looking for somebody to pick off? We're to resist him. Stand firm in our faith, trusting in the Lord. Quoting Scripture as our defense, for that is our sword, just like Jesus did when he was tempted. Remember what James says. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He will flee. Because once we submit ourselves under the mighty hand of God, God's glory shines upon us, and Satan can't deal with that. That reminds him of his defeat. And that he knows you can't be touched. And we need to remember that in our suffering, we're not alone. Our suffering is not unique to us. It's experienced by brothers and sisters within the church and throughout the world. And that is why we should be in fervent prayer for each other. In fact, as a body of Christ, we have a support system like no other that God has given us. It's called the church. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1, chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's the church ministering one to another. You have went through something somebody in this church needs your encouragement with. And if we're not part of the body, if we're not unified in the body, then we're unable to minister one to another. And so Peter, over these last five verses, as I'm coming to a close here, has revealed to us the importance of submission and humility. And resisting the devil in the midst of suffering is a change, as a charge to the laity. Now, as we read these verses, here's what becomes glaringly apparent to me in Peter speaking to the church, admonishing the church, the charge to leadership and the charge to the laity, is that Peter failed at every single one of them. Peter failed at every single admonishment he is giving to the church. He is speaking out of his own experience, which brings validity and strength and depth to what he's saying. You see, Peter failed in submitting to those in authority over him. Do you remember when Jesus was telling the disciples that he must suffer many things? He must go and suffer under the elders and the chief priests, and on the he must be killed and on the third day be raised again. And what did Peter do? Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. That is a strong word. That is an authoritative word. Peter was rebuking Jesus, his master, his Lord. And what did Jesus say? Hey, 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 whoa, 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 Peter, where's this coming from? No, that's not what he said. He said this, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter failed at submitting himself to authority. 
Peter failed in clothing himself in humility. You remember the story? As they were walking along the road, the disciples started to argue about who would be the greatest. I'm sure Peter was in that discussion. Peter also failed in humbling himself before the mighty hand of God. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration? Peter boasted without invitation. Go back and read the story. Peter injected himself at the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus, Elijah, and Moses were meeting. And he said, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Yeah, I know what I'm doing. And it wasn't Jesus who rebuked him. It was God from a voice from heaven who said, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to me. I could just see Jesus going, I told you. Be quiet. <laughs> but you had to open your mouth, and now God's talking. Peter failed to recognize the glory of the Lord that was going on. And Peter equalized Jesus with Moses and Elisha. And he was in error. Peter failed to be sober-minded and watchful. For we know the story of Peter. Three times Jesus said, stay awake and pray with me. Three times Peter fell asleep. And as a result, Peter acted out in violence by cutting off the ear. And then ultimately denied Jesus three times. He failed at every one. He blew it at every turn that he's admonishing us today. Brothers and sisters, you may have or you may be in the midst of blowing it yourself. Chances are we have. But as much as Peter and ourselves have failed in these admonishments, take heart because Peter also gives us encouragement wrought from his experience, and we find it in our last verse. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, and strengthen, and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever. This is exactly what happened to Peter. He was restored. He was confirmed. He was strengthened. And he was established. And it's the same for you. Verse 10 is for you as much as it was for Peter. Brothers and sisters, Peter's charge is very clear and one wrought from his experience. Let us therefore receive his admonishments, walking in subjection to authority, in all humility, always being sober-minded and watchful, resisting the enemy and fully trusting in our Father who loves and cares for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, for as much encouragement as it provides us, as much hope as it gives us, as much strength as it dwells within us, 
There are times, Father, when we hear it and it's a tough word. But, Father, we could do all things through you who strengthens us. And, Father, we want to be right before you. We want to be right before you. So, Father, reveal to us, to each of us, the areas in our life where we need to humble ourselves to have a right assessment of who we are, humble ourselves one to another, and most importantly, humble ourselves before the mighty hand of you. Because, Father, when we do, you will lift us up. You will exalt us in due time. You will preserve us. And we are so thankful for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.